Hello and welcome to The Good Robot Andy's Season 5, Episode 11. Ooh. My name is Andy Balaam and this is... Andy Cockerell. And uh, I, uh, listeners who've listened before will know... What's he, why are you laughing at me already? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just too many erms. <laughs> too many erms. Okay. Uh, and um 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 uh, <laughs> uh, listeners who've listened before will know that season or at least to season five before will know that season five is a very special season because it's a countdown of the 30 best horror films of the 20th century mm. and not only is it is that already exciting but at this point things are considerably more exciting because today we're doing number two number two the second best horror film of the entire 20th, 20th century. century. Yes. Um, but before that, we are overjoyed to say we have received uh, some bits of feedback. Yes, uh, and not just like bits of feedback from a microphone, like people actually writing in. Yeah, by feedback, we, we mean people saying <laughs> things to us. Yes. And uh, also we've got a bit of news to discuss. So should we st- kick off with a bit of, bit of feedback? Yes, let's do some feedback. Are you going to do your feedback or shall I do You do your one. Feedback? You do the one you've got lined up. Okay, so this is from Cathy. Who Cathy, says, who's, she's commented before. She has. Yeah, she's, a, a, I think, probably our most um, uh, active commenter. In fact, Cathy has um, featured on the podcast. Yes, she has. Yes, she did. Yes, that's right. She, uh, she came on the podcast to rubbish my opinion. <laughs> Which is always nice. Highly effectively. Highly effectively, because I still remember. It was like a year ago. Um, anyway, she says, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Cathy. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be passive-aggressive feedback. Uh, it might be. Feedback, yeah. feedback. <laughs> it might be. Uh, yes, and Happy she says, New Year, I'm Cathy. Intri- I'm intrigued to hear how much you both love A Nightmare on Elm Street. Ellipsis. Never going to watch it! Exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. Uh, then she goes on to talk about a movie that she's contacted us about before. Uh, she I says, think at, regarding at this point, she can be described as banging on about screen. Banging on about it. And the thing is, this movie isn't even in the list. But anyway, regarding screen, mm-hmm. uh, okay, it does, of course, depend on how much you categorize things. But to how me, are you it's categorizing? A, but to me, it's a totally different film from A Nightmare on Elm Street. As everyone's calling it. Uh, as a no yes. A noise. A noise. Because <laughs> I, Cathy, draw a strong <laughs> distinction between natural and supernatural killers. I do as well, actually, I think. In um, terms of what? Does she mean... Or what do you mean by it? Do you mean in terms of how scared you are about, by them or something else? No, I think in terms of the look and feel and tone mm-hmm. of a movie... But so many leave it ambiguous, right? So how can you draw a distinction? Yeah, I think Jason in um, in Friday the 13th is definitely ambiguous about whether mm-hmm. he's supernatural or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, I'm assuming it's closer to Texas Chainsaw in this regard. Uh, no, it's not. Texas Chainsaw... Uh, uh, okay, so I then replied, but I will, I will paraphrase my reply. Oh, actually, you replied and said, if you watch Scream, you can handle Nightmare. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so too. But she does uh, say she draws a distinction between natural and supernatural. It may well be that supernatural is just too scary for her. I can understand. Maybe. Like some things are much more scary for me, like ghosts and dead bodies are very scary for me. Yeah. 
Okay. So I then replied and said, I personally think that Scream is way more bloody and disturbing than A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think mm. it is pretty bloody, Scream, isn't it? And it's I pr- think... pretty full on. It comes from a time where the kind of um, girl who's a victim thing, even if it's being all clever about it, yeah. is a little bit... It's a little bit too late for it to be... Yeah. Maybe... Yeah, no, I agree. It was yeah. still a long time ago, so maybe I'm being unfair. But So I do say that the fantastical nature of Nightmare is what makes it so great. Um, yeah, I mean, eventually yeah. we like it when the tongue comes out of the phone. <laughs> That's the only bit you ever talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I say that Texas Chainsaw so is most definitely rooted in the real world, albeit right, right. a sick, twisted real world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. She also mentions... Yes. That she sent herself a link to the character encodings video. Yes. So we obviously didn't do an effective uh, job of explaining how boring that video was going to be. Well, presumably she's watched it by now, so um, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's why you've had no feedback. Yeah, maybe the first two minutes of it. Yes. Uh, do you want to do your feedback? Yeah, so we got some feedback through Mastodon um, where, from dapper at mastodon.social. Uh, he, he said a few things. He said he said some stuff about Walking Dead. Um, he uh, he says he says he thinks Walking Dead will stand the test of time unless it jumps the shark like Lost. Well, let's not even talk about Lost. Um, he also says mm. we should pronounce it Laos, Lao, Lao, Laos, not Laos. I don't remember talking about that. But anyway. no, nor do I. Mm. Um, but thanks anyway, Dapper. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got a few little criticisms. That's what we're looking for, right? That's what we Yes, said. yes, yes, definitely. Um, um, I, also, I, there are, there mm-hmm. are plenty of people who think that The Walking Dead has already jumped the shark. Yeah, there's lots, lots of people who say it ran out of ideas. And I don't think I've got far enough into it to find the bit where it ran out of ideas. But I can definitely believe it might because yeah. it is one idea that it's, it's thrashing. It's just that it's an idea I really like. Yeah, I enjoy it too. I think that it threatened to jump the shark maybe last season. Right. So don't I've tell been... me too much because I can't remember what season I've got to. No, okay. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but I will mm. say that I'm on season seven at the moment, which is, right. I think, the last, not the most recent one. It's the one before that. Oh, are there eight? I thought there were only seven. Yeah, there's there's another one. There's been an eighth. So I've heard that the ending is well worth sticking around for, and it's pretty dramatic. Which season are you on? Uh, no, I'm talking about the ending of season eight. Like oh, the okay. End. The, apparently, right. yeah. the end end is dramatic. Excellent. I like an end end that's dramatic. So that, uh, yeah, that that's made me excited. What I've got is, I got for Christmas, I got the box set of seasons one to six. I think I've probably... Ooh already seen seasons one to four okay. but i've started again i've watched the whole of season one which is great um, just loved it and i watched all the extras to try and slow myself down so i don't watch it too quickly <laughs> yeah well that's that's the season that was overseen by frank darabont mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah. and i think that is the hot that is the high point mm-hmm. uh i think season two is weaker right i just uh, love it though i love yeah. i love the trauma they go through and they carry on and on and they yeah. sense of grief that they live with and I think when um when David Morrissey's prison governor is introduced things really pick up right 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 he's yeah he's really good but I just find the jeopardy constantly fun and and they're just so battered yeah and yeah they carry on like it's they like really real are life battered, aren't they? people 
you know, people live through grief and they they carry on despite it. And I I like that. Carry on, carry on. There's more feedback. Nothing from... really matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's more feedback from Dapperer. Yes. Um, Dapperer says Memoirs of an Invisible Man was a much better book. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know there was a book. He okay. also says, uh, and then there was some confusion between me and him because I didn't know what he was talking about, but I'm guessing now it was <laughs> fairly clear to see that he was talking about the film The Invisible Man, or possibly Memoirs of Memoirs Invisible of Invisible Man, Man yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, he also says, uh, in schools, they're often referring to search it up instead of Google it. Search it up? Mm-hmm. Is that, so they don't want to use the word Google? Because we often struggle <coughs> saying you should Google things. You should, we should use... We should use, yeah. We often say you should Google it using DuckDuckGo. Yes, I'll search it up. Okay, that's that's mm-hmm. reasonable. I shall start using that at my workplace. That will mm-hmm. please everybody. What uh, what uh, Dapper also says is, was there a Pixies quote? And he gives the time signature in an episode, and I just haven't bothered to look it up. So you know, I don't know. Oh, okay, well, probably um, we're both big Pixies fans. Yes, we are. Um, yeah, I wonder what it could have been, though. I don't remember referring to having a broken face. No. If there was a... Okay, so... Or you're being have a to debaser. Take, you're going to have to... Um, actually, what's the time signature? What's the episode? Ep- then uh, listener, season, listener can go back. Yeah, someone can tell us. We <laughs> can't be bothered. Someone tell us what the Pixies quote was. <laughs> season 5, episode 10, 37 minutes, 41 seconds. Get on right. it, listener. No, there you go, listener. Uh, you can do what I can't be bothered to do, which is go and listen to it and see. We don't so, have a producer to do that kind of thing. No, exactly. So no. W- what's happened here is that Dapper has gone, listened to our um, episode and made comments through it um, in a sort of interactive way. Okay. And I got chatting with Dapper um, about the possibility of uh, trying to live broadcast this podcast so that that would be more of an interactive experience. Mm. So we have no idea whether... A, we can get it to work technically, although I've figured, found a few things that look like we could make it work. B, whether anyone would want to participate. Dapper says he'd be interested. So what we might do, if we get it all up and running, is um, we might try and broadcast live and have a little chat room for people to talk in. Um, if we do, check us on um, Twitter and Mastodon. will give details on there. Um, if we get round to it, if we do get round to it, the f- we'll try and get it, make it happen in two weeks from today's the day of recording today. So that would be the twenty eighth of January, twenty nineteen. Will it be that one though? Because sometimes there are Mondays when you're not available. That is a Monday when I am available. So if you're <clears throat> available, yes. we could try and do it then. Cool. Yes. Okay, so um, we might do a live broadcast on the twenty eighth of January, twenty nineteen, at about twenty hundred. UTC, so for people in the UK that would be 8pm or possibly more like half past, depending how old <coughs> we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we might do that. If we are going to do that, you will see it on Twitter or Mastodon if you're following us on there. Um, most likely it will be our usual website address, goodrobotandies, like artificialworlds.net slash goodrobotandies slash live, if I can make that happen. But I anyway, we, follow us we on could also... Um, <clears throat> we could do a mini pod before the main pod just mm-hmm. to, to remind people when it's on. Oh, wow. That would be highly technical, wouldn't it? 
just a quick yeah. recording to say hi it's the good robot andy's just a reminder that the next episode is going to be an interactive one and it's going out on this blah 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 that would be really clever because then people who only consume our podcast through their podcatcher yep. would know so yeah. anyway that might happen mm. obviously most of the people listening to this after we've become famous are <laughs> listening to it well after <laughs> 2019 but anyway for those of you who are around in late january 2019 on a Monday evening, UK time, uh, consider tuning in and there'll be a little chat room for you to write your comments, which we will try to ignore <laughs> as far as possible. Or will we, uh, will we try and address them? Well, yeah, we might make the mistake of trying to address them and therefore do an even worse podcast well, than usual. Because actually, the next episode is going to be the number one movie. Oh, yeah, so that would be an ideal. Yeah, OK, people are going to be so excited about what's number one, they're going to tune in live. Exactly. That's what's even though, happen. Even though looking at the top 30, it's probably blatantly obvious what it's going to be. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about what okay. you're... Okay. Uh, shall I do my, little, my final bit of... Um, yeah, let's do a bit of movie news. A bit of movie news. Some sad movie news is that um, uh, movie director and actress Penny Marshall uh, died uh, in December last year, actually. Uh, December the 17th. Um, she was most famous um, during the 70s for playing Laverne in the television, American television sitcom Laverne and Shirley, which was very briefly homaged in the movie Wayne's World. When, so I've, um, I've definitely heard of Laverne and Shirley but, I, Shirley, but I don't think I know anything about it. I've heard of it as well. I don't think I've ever seen a single episode. But... Uh, but Wayne and Garth very briefly homage the opening titles of Laverne and Shirley when they're heading to Milwaukee to go and see Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I kind of remember that bit. Um, but uh, I know her mainly for being a movie director. Mm-hmm. And she made the movies uh, Jumping Jack Flash with um, Whoopi Goldberg, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but her next movie in 1988 was a movie that Listener may have seen. It's quite a popular movie. It's an early Tom Hanks uh, movie called Big. Yeah, I, I loved that when it came out. It's so, so good. I mean, it really does hold up to this day. Mm. Um, it was one of, I think, three body swap, although it's not a body swap mm. movie, but it's one of three movies around the same time yeah. in which someone who is young becomes old and then someone who is old becomes young. But this is a, a story of a... <clears throat> a sort of pre-pubescent kid who is sort of frustrated, wants to grow up. He goes to the boardwalk near New York. I think it might, might be Coney Island. Mm-hmm. He goes up to a um, like a, a carnival-type machine. What are they called? It's like that chess-playing thing, but not, right? It's Zolta, I think it's called Zoltar Speaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be like a fortune-telling. Yeah. Yeah, and he puts money in it, and he says, I wish I was big. And then he wakes up, and he is big. Uh, yeah, and I remember the... Yeah, Zoltar's really scary. Yeah, quite spooky, and yeah. The thing about it that I really strongly remember is that he goes to work as a software developer. I'm pretty sure this is this film. Yes, he does. And, why not? He, and, and he, yeah. he fixes all the code on the first day, and all the other software developers are like, what are yes. you doing? It's supposed to take three months. That's right, he does do that. <laughs> Slow down. Yeah, he's like, slow down, you're making us all look bad. <laughs> yeah, so he goes to work for a toy company. 
Um, yes, yeah. That's well, not a toy, a toy store that's loosely based on FAO Schwartz, which doesn't exist anymore mm. in New York. That was a massive toy store, like three or four stories tall toy toy shop. Um, and because he has this kind of, he is a child in a man's body, he gets picked up for the sort of R and D department for toys, and becomes very successful quite quickly. Um. It's an incredibly affecting movie in terms of the fact that Tom Hanks's performance is really good. Yeah, yeah um, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it is a difficult thing to do, and, and it the has way he this, moves is very good. Yeah, it's really effective. Yeah, he he moves like a gawky kid yeah. in a man's body. Yeah, um, uh, and it's it's got a lot to say about the way that adults go about their daily business. Uh, and the fact that if you could just slow down and look around and have a bit of fun, you might actually enjoy life a little bit more. Um, it's, I think it's one of my favourite movies. It's certainly one of my favourite Tom Hanks performances. Um, and Penny Marshall directs it really well. You know, it's, um, it's a great movie. And then later on, she made Awakenings with uh, oh, Robin Williams and yeah, Robert good. De Niro, which is a good movie. Yeah. Um, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture and a movie called A League of Their Own from 1992, which is all about women's baseball during the Second World War. I didn't. I knew it was about baseball. I had no idea it was either about women's baseball or during the Second World War. Yeah, you know, th- because there was, you know, a lot of men were off fighting who would normally be playing baseball, that a women's league was set up. And um, so again, Tom Hanks features in that. Gina Davis, Madonna... Um, that is not as good as Big, but it does feature one of my favourite lines from any movie in which Tom Hanks is giving one of his team, this this uh, one of the women on the team, quite a hard time. And her lip starts to quiver and, uh, you know, a tear kind of drips out of her eye. And he says, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> Stop crying. Which I always thought was very funny. Um, so yeah, a huge loss. I think. I think you know, she hasn't. She didn't make much um, beyond two thousand and five, <clears throat> although did make some TV. But I think what she did make during the eighties and nineties was was really quite something. Particularly at that time when there weren't that many female directors around. Wow. Yeah, um, she is. I oh, know she's not. I was going to say she survived by her brother Gary Marshall, but he died in 2016. Um, so he made Pretty Woman, which, oh. you know, you either you either think is a good movie or you think is a load of exploitive trash. Or both. Or both. Yeah, it might actually be both, yeah. Uh, and also made Beaches, which is um, quite schmaltzy. Never heard of it. So there you go. That's Penny Marshall. That's that's my movie news. Sad movie news. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, should we do a rundown of the top thirty? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that. Okay. I'm not at all prepared. So you're gonna get it. You're gonna get it raw. Okay, it's raw, everyone. Uh, at number like it, thirty, like it isn't normally. <laughs> number thirty, it's Gremlins. Uh, commercial. Which I watched at, on um, Christmas Eve mm-hmm. and really enjoyed. Mm. Really enjoyed it. Mm. It holds up. It does. That's why it's there. Number 29, Near Dark. Haven't seen it. Okay. Number 28, Altered States. Haven't seen it. 
Number 27, Hellraiser. Um, mainstream. Number 26, The Blair Witch Project. Um, Versimilitudinous. Number 25. I'm sticking with that, yes. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Jacob's Ladder is at number 25. Creepy. Number 24, Nosferatu. Haven't seen it? No, number or maybe I have. Classic. It's classic. Even if it's I classic. It. Number 23, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, seminal. Number 22, The Wicker Man. Um, terrifying. Number 21, Carrie. Mm. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Number 20, Maybe I should si- watch it again. Okay. Silence of the Lambs at number 20. Identifiable. Number 19, Audition. Extreme? Yeah. Number 18, Ring. Fresh. Yeah. Uh, number 17, Psycho. Um, genre defining. Is that what I said? I don't uh, know. Yeah, it, I think you did. It is yeah, genre yeah. Defining. Uh, number 16, The Fly. A fun. Incidentally, I started watching The Fly the other day, and I was struck by the fact that A. Jeff Goldblum, his, you know, we were talking about his twitchy, weird energy. <laughs> it really is full on, yeah. full frontal, twitchy, weird energy. It's quite something. Yeah. But Gina Davis goes with him to his really run down area where his, um, like, warehouse laboratory is. Mm-hmm. And it's not the best idea, really. You no. know, he, could, he could be anybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, anyway. So did you see he. Um... <laughs> On uh, on Twitter today, you know, people on Twitter were doing like nine years ago today or ten years ago today or something. Yeah, he did. Uh, so it's supposed to be like you as a teenager and then you now or something like that, right? And he did him as like a completely transformed fly <laughs> <laughs> as his as his young self. Excellent. And then cool. some recent shot of him in some kind of I don't I don't know looking smart anyway. That's nice. And number fifteen, good. Event Horizon. Derivative. Number 14, Brand an American... Boring. Number 14, an American werewolf in London. Uh, teenage fun. <laughs> At 13, the sixth sense. Um, lonely. Hmm. And number 12, the omen. Scary children. At number 11, don't look now. Haven't seen it. Uh, number 10, the haunting. Creaky. Number nine, Evil Dead 2. He's uh, going to get this one. <laughs> uh, no, because I can't remember the word. Groovy. Oh, yeah, I can. Groovy, groovy. groovy. <laughs> I was going to get that. Well, you got in there before. I know. Uh, number groovy. eight, Rosemary's Baby. Um, chilling. Number seven, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, not chilling. Paranoid, actually. Paranoid, paranoid. yeah, paranoid, yeah. I um, haven't seen it. Uh, number six, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, it's just great. Yeah. Number five, Night of the Living Dead. Um, uh, I don't even know how to say something. It's just really, like, life-changing. Life-changing. Number four, The Thing. Uh, don't think I've seen it. Okay. Uh, number three, The Shining. Uh, definitely shouldn't be number three. Okay. Uh, that leaves us with on to number two then. 
What's number two, Andy C? Uh, number two is a 1979 science fiction horror film. Okay. Is it Alien? It is. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I really thought you were going to miss it out. <laughs> it is Alien. Phew. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Ooh. good. I'm just having a drink, sorry. Right. I'm pretty sure I know what number one is too. I'm sure you do, uh, based on what else has come. But anyway, Alien... Directed by Ridley Scott, um, written by Dan O'Bannon, based on a story by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. It follows the crew of the commercial space tug Nostromo, who encounter the eponymous alien, a deadly and aggressive extraterrestrial set loose on the ship. And the film stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm and Yafet Koto. How is Sigourney Weaver not in the first person in that list? I uh, I know because she wasn't a big star then. She this was probably her second or third like supporting role. I know she's the last per- she's the last girl standing. She's the final girl. She's alien. she's not in a supporting role. Come on. Oh, she is a supporting role. She's not the captain. Um, she's not no, even. She's, she's the protagonist. She is, but she's not the. Um, not the captain or the what is she warrant officer she's a warrant officer first class she's the, the main character the yeah she ends up being the main character she starts off being the main character it's all from her point of view um, it starts off being from the captain's point of view but then he bites the dust we're going to spoil this by the way mind oh, you yeah, yeah. if you it's haven't seen this movie thing. what are you doing um well, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, do stop yes. the podcast and yes. go watch it because it's amazing, and we it don't want to amazing. have any risk of spoiling it. But yeah. then after that, tune back in and listen to the rest. So what I'm going on here is the the cast list in the movie. Yeah, yeah I'm not criticising you, but yeah. I am deeply offended. Okay, um, so she, I think, maybe her movie debut was in Annie Hall. Which is, is that, a, um, what's his name? Woody Allen. Woody movie. Allen, yeah. She has a supporting role in Annie Hall. Right. As does Jeff Goldblum as well, I think, weirdly. Right. Um, there's a funny scene in Annie Hall where Jeff Goldblum has a big uh, a mirror with some white powder on it at a party. And Woody mm-hmm. Allen says, oh, I love this stuff. I'm, you know, I'm trying to give it up. And <laughs> then he sneezes on it and blows it all over the room. It's, uh, it's very funny. Um... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'd say that although although her role is large, she doesn't get top billing. That's a disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. It was produced by Gordon Carroll, David Geiler, and Walter Walter Hill through their company Br- company Brandywine Productions. They went on to produce, I think, all of the pre um, all of the pre Prometheus. Alien movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was distributed by 20th Century Fox. So do you have any information about how it came to be made? You know, was it difficult to get made or was it... I mean, was Ridley Scott well known? And Ridley Scott had made, I think, one movie before this movie, which was The Duelists, which was a period drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing, you know, nothing to do with sci-fi. And was this a blockbuster or, you know, or quite a small thing? Or 
this had a budget of nine to yes, it was nine to eleven million. So uh, that's a lot, right? That's quite a lot for that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, had a box office of one hundred and four point nine to two hundred and three point six. Wow, which is big. So yeah. yeah, it was Alien was huge. Right, right, right. It I'm didn't. Glad, right? Nobody'd seen anything like this before. Oh, it was so good. Um, so in terms of genre, it is a science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what this this took the the aesthetic of um, of Star Wars and then took it to the next level. And what I'm talking about there is uh, there was a, a phrase coined. Uh, for Star Wars by the folks who were doing the set design and prop design and that that phrase is future used mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. instead of um, white shiny spacecraft and everybody dressed in white and nobody getting dirty ever and everybody's hair being perfect all the time which is definitely a feature of 1950s and 60s sci-fi mm-hmm. um, because they live in the future Exactly, and, and there's no dirt in the future, <laughs> ever. Um, the, the spacecraft and the crew of the Nostromo look like regular people. You know, they look like regular people. The, the dialogue is very down-to-earth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great deal of dialogue about bonuses and mm-hmm. the fact that the engineering crew, which is Yafet Koto and the brilliant Harry Dean Stanton... Um, or they spend most of their time complaining about the fact that they're not going to get paid. Um, uh, yeah, it feels very real. There's no kind of yeah. There's no mm. oh, there's no act sense of acting. No, I mean Harry Dean Stanton is like the most laid back um, minimalist actor that you could possibly find. I mean, this is a guy who's done loads of stuff with Vin Vendors, lots of art house. Um, he was in a movie by Alex Cox called Repo Man, which is one of my ah, favourite movies. Yeah, that's great. Terrific film. Um, Did we do Repo Man? On the no, podcast? we should do Repo Man. No, I tell you why Repo Man came up. Yeah, um, Nightcrawler is. Nightcrawler. Yeah, because I said it was yeah. like it, and you said I was right. Yeah, it's it's of the same ilk. Um, and then you've got um, like British. Uh, like classical actors and you know British stalwarts like Ian Holm and John Hurt. You know, I'd say that I think this is probably John Hurt's breakout performance in a movie. Um, who's, who does John Hurt play? He plays Ash, the guy who's the alien pops out of his chest <laughs> at dinner. Ah, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tom Skerritt, who was, I'd say, pretty well known. He plays Captain Dallas, who, who, as I said, buys the farm reasonably early on in the movie probably about halfway through I think which is quite a shock if you've seen it for the first time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because you expect Dallas to be the last man standing but he's not Um, so yeah it was it was definitely an interesting production Uh, Dan O'Bannon thought of the idea He'd already made a movie called Dark Star with director John Carpenter. So John Carpenter's in this list. He mm-hmm. made The Thing. Um, so Dark Star is kind of has a dotted line to Alien. It's a different kind of story, but it does feature an, an alien in Dark Star that's shaped like a beach ball with hands. 
<laughs> it's a bit more jokey, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, the original script, uh, which I think called Star Beast, you know, it was much more pulpy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely, he says, he didn't steal Alien from anybody, I stole it from everybody. <laughs> so he got inspiration from things like The Thing from Another World, um, from Forbidden Planet. I think there's definitely a, a big influence on Alien. Don't think I've seen that. Um, so Forbidden Planet is a, a movie from the mid-50s with Leslie Nielsen playing a lead role. Serious? Yes, a serious role. Well. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> and... I just want to say good luck, and we're all counting. We're all on counting you. on you. <laughs> um, notable things about Alien are the design of the Alien, and also the design of the Alien craft mm-hmm. uh, by a Swiss artist, I think, who's now died, called H. R. Geiger or Giger, mm-hmm. who um, uh, who designed this kind of. Um, biological horror that is the alien mm-hmm. um, and if you if you're ever in any doubt about whether some parts of that design are, are modeled on human genitalia they definitely are you only have to check out hr <laughs> geiger's other work which yes. makes it quite clear that he is quite keen on modeling his art after human genitalia so. he, he definitely is yeah <laughs> Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a masterstroke move because I think that if if they hadn't used Geiger's design, the yeah. movie would not be as iconic as it is, and it, it would just have, be an ordinary film. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I mean, it is a man in a suit. It's a very tall, skinny man in a suit. Right. But the design is such that it's something that nobody had ever seen before. Yeah, I mean, the aliens are utterly beautiful. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Um, so the so the plot, if if I do a a plot of it, is that the the commercial spacecraft Nostromo is uh, the crew are woken from their hypersleep early because their computer called Mother has received mm. what appears to be a distress call. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in accordance with protocol, has woken them up to go and investigate it. By the way, have you read the books? Uh, y- yes, I have. Yeah, I can't remember. They're written. They're written by a. a well, Alan some Dean, of them, Alan oh, Dean right. Foster. Well, yeah, all of them by a known author. Yeah. yeah, and the the reason I interrupt you to ask you that is the the mention of hypersleep because in the books, the sense that they've woken from that sleep kind of trails through the whole book almost it, mm. it it kind of changes their whole state of mind that they never quite wake up almost or something like that you know it's really the sleep part which is just a just the introductory scene in the film but becomes mm. a key part of the, the story in a way in the books that's interesting isn't it yeah i mean I you felt, do, at least there's definitely um he does write in some interesting stuff into those books mm. Because normally yeah. the book of a film is really not worth reading, but I think no. in this case it, it could be. He's a good writer, Alan D. Foster. He's written some good stuff, right? As a sci-fi sure. writer, I must um, have read some others, but I don't. I can't think of any. Uh, so he, they get awoken. Um, the um, the technical crew are unhappy about this. They're saying, "Well, when you know, 
if we get diverted, do we get paid? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? And in a bit of foreshadowing, Ripley says to them, you'll get whatever's coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is um, not good. Uh, so they, they land on this, um, what appears to be a lifeless, quite hostile environment moon of a gas giant. Um, and they, uh, so who walks across? So Captain Ash, played by John Hurt, and Lambert, played by Veronica Cartwright, they walk to the coordinates where this distress signal is coming from. Mm-hmm. And as they're on their way there, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, contacts Ash, who is the science officer, to say, we might have a problem because Mother thinks that that distress call may be a warning, not a distress call. Mm-hmm. And Ash says, well, if it's a warning, uh, well, no, she says, I want to go out after them. And he says, what's the point? You know, if it's a warning, then they'll, they'll, they've already have found out about it, right? So, you know, we later find out that Ash is not all that he seems. In fact, he's not even human. He's an android who appears to be working on company orders to retrieve the alien and bring it back to Earth. Uh, that's the theme that will recur many times during this series. Yeah, the company is not to be trusted. Not to be trusted, and also androids are to be viewed with suspicion. Uh, but we'll talk about sequels in a mm. moment. But um, Yeah, the android theme is always... Flipping and reflipping, isn't it? Yes. Um, so uh, when the three uh, crew members get to this ship, which is like nothing you've ever seen before, they go inside, and Ash um, goes into the belly of the ship, and he found, finds thousands of what looks like eggs. Uh, he touches one; it opens up. And a creature flies out of it and attaches, it burns through his visor and attaches itself to his face. Um, the next thing we see is the three of them walking back to the Nostromo with Ash on a stretcher uh, and Ripley won't let them in. She says that to let, let, let them in would contravene quarantine because they don't know what's attached to him. Yeah, and this is a classic example of the eventual survivor being the only person who makes sane decisions throughout Yeah, the whole. she makes all the sane decisions. Um, she gets overridden by... Um, I think I've maybe got some names wrong here. Yeah, I think he called him Ash, the, the uh, android, yeah, and he's not he's called not, Ash, right? He's, called he's not. Ash is, Ash is the android. Um, oh, is Ash the android? No, hang on, no. Uh, oh... Oh, crikey. I should know this. I've seen it so many times. I'm trying to think yeah. now. Names are not my thing. So. Uh, I'll do a bit of looking things up on the internet while you carry on. Oh, this is... T- Kane. Kane is the guy who discovers the android. Um, the, the, the eggs. Right, 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 right. Ash is the android, played by Ian Holm. So, um, so Ripley is arguing with the captain... And with Lambert, they're saying, come on, let us in. We need to get him sorted out. And she's saying, no, I can't let you in. Mm-hmm. But she's clearly in a tight spot because she can't not let them in forever. 
and then mm-hmm. Ash opens the airlock um, and lets them in. Mm-hmm. That's something that comes up later in the movie. That's uh, for good reason. Yeah, he's got reasons for that. Yeah. He's got reasons for that. She she calls him out on that later in the film, and he says, "Well, what else was I supposed to do? We had to get him inside." Um, but you know, he's he has ulterior motives. Hmm. Really, he wants to get a sample back. Yes, to the company. Exactly. So they 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 get Kane back inside. They get him into the medical bay. They get his helmet off, and they see this thing that looks like a, a a spider crab that is attached to his face. It is an incredible piece of creature effects. Oh, it's really... It's really, really, really yeah. creepy and disgusting. And as they start to try and remove it from his face, it wraps its tail around his neck like it's going to strangle him. So they're not really sure what to do, you know, because they know that if they try and... They can see that if they try and remove it, it's probably going to kill him. So Ash decides to try and cut one of the fingers, at which point what looks like molecular acid sprays out onto the floor and burns a hole through the floor and through another three decks, I think, before it finally stops. Yeah, they sort of chase it down, watching it burn through the floor. That's a great scene. very exciting. Yeah. (laughs) So they realise they can't cut it off because they'll depressurize the hull if they do that they can't drag it off his face so they have to leave it um so life carries him alive yes right because he would have suffocated yes they ascertain that it is feeding him oxygen um and keeping him alive and it's put something down his throat as well but they're not sure what is going on um then later it falls off they go looking for it. It appears to be dead. He's fine. Kane wakes up and says, what's going on? I have, I have this... What does he say? I have this terrible dream of smothering. <laughs> and then that was it. Um, they then go for dinner before they go back to hypersleep, thinking that everything's fine. He starts convulsing and uh, a thing bursts out of his chest. And there's a myth about this scene, right? Okay, what's true. the myth? The myth that I heard about this scene is that the actors didn't know it was going to happen when they filmed it. Okay, that is a myth. Um, but it's partly a myth. So, of course, they of course they did know what was going to happen because it takes hours to set up an effects shot like mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they didn't know was that there was going to be a great deal of blood splattering on people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the shot where Lambert gets sprayed with blood is a genuine reaction shot mm-hmm. um, and Ridley Scott had several cameras running at the same time to capture those reaction shots mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they knew that there was something coming but they weren't prepared for, for what you know there was going to be blood spraying everywhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so a creature pops out of his chest that scene is amazing. And then it's followed it's by probably the worst special effect. Oh, it's terrible. The, the little creature runs away. Yeah. Across the table. Yeah. It's a bit like gremlins or something. It is a bit cheap, yeah. Um, but it's at that point that Ash once again protects the creature. Because um, Parker, who's played by Yafet Koto, he grabs like a fork or a knife and he's about to kill it. 
And Ash says, no, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so once again, he's protecting it. It then disappears. And um, they have to go looking for it. I'm going into too much detail here, actually, but I just love this film so much that I'm <laughs> going through the plot. So anyway, they go looking for it. Um, and the first person to buy the farm is Brett, play, played by Harry Dean Stanton, who who, uh, who is actually, they're looking for the cat, Jones the cat, um, mm. because he's led them on a wild goose chase. They thought he was the alien, but he's not. He's just Jones the cat. There's a fantastic scene when uh, Brett goes into like the caverns of the ship and there's water. It's very reminiscent of Blade Runner, actually. There's like water coming down from the ceiling and there's clanking chains and he's 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 found the cat. The cat looks like it's going to come out so he can pick it up and then the cat mm-hmm. looks at something over his shoulder and <laughs> retreats back into the corner. <laughs> And Brett sees this and he looks round and there's the alien and it's grown like massively in the time, you know, it's, um, I don't, I don't quite know how it grows so quickly, but that's a feature of, mm. of these movies that it grows very fast mm. and it kills him. And that's where we see it's got, um, it's got two sets of jaws. Yeah. And it takes its time about it, right? Oh Yeah. It yeah, yeah. contemplates the kill for a while. It takes its time because it's so scary that you're paralysed with fear. Yeah. You can't run away. <laughs> so it knows it can take its time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the first one to buy the farm. The next is uh, Tom Skerritt's captain, uh, who once again falls foul of Ash's skullduggery when he goes into the ventilation system to try and flush it out and his motion tracker that's been designed by Ash starts to malfunction. I'm doing quotes there, malfunction. It doesn't really <laughs> malfunction. It just hasn't been designed very well. Uh, or it's been designed specifically to break at a, at a point. So um, Captain Dallas, the only thing they find of him is the uh, flamethrower that he was had with him at the time. His body is has disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, they then make the decision um, to evacuate the ship, even though the lifeboat will only take, I think, two or three. Uh, and there's more of them, but they make the decision to leave. And it's at this point that Ripley, who is now captain, because... Ash and Dallas are dead, so she is the next in command. She goes to Mother, and she sees the executive order that was given to Ash, which is to retrieve the life form. Um, All other priorities rescinded. So the crew are expendable, effectively. And Ash, at that point, goes completely bananas. um, And tries to kill her. She's yeah, saved. Is, is, it, is that when he locks her in the room with the alien? Uh, I don't think he well, ever actually, does No, that. hang on. Is that um, in Aliens? That might be in Aliens. That's in Aliens, yeah. Okay, I apologise. Continue. Yeah, that's another skullduggerous um, company employee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, no, only he's a human. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so he goes bananas. He tries to, ki- he tries to kill her. Uh, he's saved, she's saved by Parker, who comes in and smacks Ash around the head and... Uh, then realise that Ash is not human. He is an android. They 
So they managed to kill him, in quotes, by sort of... I think they use a... Like a cattle prod to to short-circuit him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, they, they do actually need to get some information out of him. So they they reactivate him and ask him how they can kill the alien. And he says, you can't. Which is, of course, not true, but... Mm-hmm. I suppose, I suppose, in the context of where they are in a spacecraft, they really can't kill it mm-hmm. um, because it's pretty it, unlikely. Yeah, it's pretty unlikely. Um, he then proceeds to say, "What does he say?" He says, "It's a perfect organism. It's unclouded by thoughts of morality." Uh, and then he signs off by saying, "I can't tell you what your chances are, but you have my sympathies." <laughs> <laughs> and then and there's already a hint maybe there that maybe this was an artificially created organism in some yes way yes indeed uh, so yes Ash gets I think Parker burns Ash up with a flamethrower and they then make the decision they are going to take the lifeboat so they're busy they're busy um, gathering equipment and food and supplies for the lifeboat when the alien manages to kill both Parker and Lambert in the same area, which is a really nasty scene. You don't see very much. You hear most of it over the intercom. So Parker played by Yafit Koto. Koto. Yes. Koto. Yeah. And Lambert played by Veronica Cartwright. Correct. Yeah. Uh, there's, you hear it over the, most of it over the intercom with Parker yelling, get out of the way, I need a clean shot. And she's just screaming, um, which you would. To be quite honest, just scream. Um, yeah, so they both scary. they both get killed. Ripley realizes that Jones is still on the ship, and of course, because she's a conscientious crew member, she has to <laughs> find him and and put him back in his box. Well, she's got no one left, right? So. No, no. Um, uh, so she she goes to find Jones. She encounters the alien briefly in a corridor. At this point. There's strobe lights flashing everywhere. There's yellow spinning lights. There's the there's the um, computer voice saying, "You now have 15 minutes to reach minimum safe distance." And you know this noise going on in the background. It's fantastic. I, do, I love Mother. Mother is brilliant in this yeah. film. Really great. Mother, who? Hang on. Is played by Helen Horton. Oh, that's interesting. That's is cool. that someone you've heard of? No, it's not, but that is cool. Okay. Um, oh, yes, this Helen is, Horton. It's the, this is the um, the weird prospect of me having the IMDb page open during the podcast. That's cool. That's very cool. Um, so, yeah, long story short, Ripley sets the ship for self-destruct. She makes it onto the lifeboat and she escapes. But the uh, the beastie has made it onto the lifeboat, and there ensues a nail biting scene in which mm. he has to get into a spacesuit and evacuate the air. All the while, singing a song from I think it's the uh, a movie called A Star Is Born. Not the most recent one, obviously, but the, there's been several versions of this. But the version with James Mason and Judy Garland. Uh, she sings a song called You Are My Lucky Star. 
And this is the song that Ripley is just repeating the chorus from over and over, like you would if you were an extremist. <laughs> you are my lucky star. <laughs> I, uh, like this, over and over again. As she's getting into the, um, the spacesuit. That is just so intense. Such an intense. See, all the while, obviously, there's flashing strobe lights and um, things to make you feel unsettled. Oh, that's so scary. Uh, the it's so alien, perfect. Yeah, it's incredible. The alien then manages to make its way all the way around to where she is, and she hits a button to uh, open the airlock doors. It flies out. It manages to grab hold of the doors like it's going to pull itself back in again. She shoots it with a harpoon, which I presume is used for like mending holes in a spacecraft. It's not used for shooting aliens with. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's outside. It tries to get into the engine, then she kills it, presumably, by putting the engines on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a nice little sign-off at the end where she says that um, she's the last survivor of the Nostromo. That's, that's Alien. It's an incredible, incredible film. So let's talk about some things. Here's one thing. Mm. Um, um, female leading role. Yes. Um, really, I mean, a sort of tough female. I don't know whether people would accuse that of being like just using a woman in a role that would traditionally be a man's role or not, but I no. utterly love it. I don't think so, because she goes back for the cat. Mm-hmm. I think if it was a man, he'd be like, no, sod the cat. <laughs> Maybe. But the, the, the other th- the, my comment about that is I wonder whether, and we've talked about this slightly before in this series, yeah. I wonder whether because it's a horror film and because there's this tradition of the last girl, mm. the final girl, is that what it's called, final girl? The final girl, yeah. Um... That, that that was a way of of having a really brilliant role for a woman um, in films where otherwise you wouldn't have been able to. But because it's horror and it's tradition that the the survivor is female, you get to have this great role for a woman. I don't know. Yes, I think there is that. I think there is also, you know, maybe not related to that so much, but the fact that, as you said earlier on, Ripley it's pretty much the only member of the crew who makes good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she's thinking one step ahead of everybody else in terms of the long game. Yeah, she figures out what's going on. and Yeah. Stuff, yeah. She doesn't want to let them back in when, she, when they say that there's something attached to Kane, which is the right thing to do. She doesn't trust Ash. Um... She, when she, you know, when mother says that maybe it's a warning, she says, we need to go out there. And it's only the fact that Ash is, you know, the science officer that she kind of, or maybe because he's a man, that she just says, oh, okay, fine. Um, so th- there's, there's some interesting gender politics in this movie. I think that the Captain Dallas, uh, you know, she, I think she respects Captain Dallas a lot. She respects hmm. his opinion. Yeah, she likes him. I think. I think they have a mutual respect. You know, they, they have, in keeping with everybody except for Ash. In fact, that's addressed is in the script. Is that when Ripley says she doesn't trust Ash, uh, Dallas says, "Look, um, 
Ash replaced our, our normal science officer two days before we left. What am I going to do? And she says, oh, I don't trust him. And Dallas says, well, I don't trust anybody. And he kind of just, he dismisses, dismisses mm-hmm. her concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's still worried about it. You know, she doesn't trust him. It's hard for me not to talk about this film in the context of where her character has got to at the beginning of the next film. Okay, so let's should but, we talk about but, that? Then? Well, hang on, we've got a few yeah. things to talk about. Yeah. So I want to talk about one thing, then I want to ask you like why it deserves to be in the list, and then yes. we should probably talk about sequels. Okay. So I want to start off with the thing that I've just found, which, which I found by browsing through IMDb while we were talking. Okay. And that you, you mentioned the bloke who played uh, the alien. Yes. So I found uh, his profile on IMDb. He was called Balahi Badejo. He yes. was Ni- Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And it appears that this was the only film he was in, and he died aged thirty nine in Nigeria. Oh wow! So it 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 sounds very much to me like um, he he got he was in this one film and then essentially you know didn't profit from that film and that's a great shame. Um, isn't went it? went back home and died very young. So I don't he, know what the yeah. story is behind that, but it doesn't sound like a good story. No, it doesn't. He was six foot ten. Um, seven foot inside the costume. That is massive. Mm-hmm. That's very there's imposing. Pic- there's a picture of him on IMDb looking totally cool inside nice. an alien costume. Yeah. <laughs> That's worth looking up, listener. So a couple of other folks played the alien as well. So stuntmen Eddie Powell and Roy Scammell also portray the alien in some scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably action scenes. Um, but yeah, Balahi Badejo, thank you. Died 1992, age 39. Wow, that's really sad. Really sad, because, you know, I can't imagine it being as effective if, if he wasn't in that suit. You know, he, brings a lot, he brings a lot to it, because it, it's hard to act through a suit. Iconic role, why have we not heard his name? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um... Yeah. What was your next question? Why does it deserve oh, yeah. to be on the so, list? Yeah, why does it deserve to be on the list? Come on. I mean, it's just a... It's alien. <laughs> you could I can't say even try. <laughs> you could say it's a haunted house movie in space. In fact, it is. It is a, it is a haunted house monster movie in space. What do you mean by that? What are the elements that make it that? Uh, well, you've got a group of people who get picked off one by one. Mm-hmm, so we can mm-hmm. tick a box there. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's like uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. We've got a creature that is an alien, but it's kind of supernatural in the way that it moves around the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, seems to come and go pretty much as it pleases. Um, it's utterly terrifying. Mm-hmm. Almost like a ghost type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the final girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got untrustworthy scientist. <laughs> Which is a feature of horror movies, I think. Right, is it? Okay. I think so, yeah. Untrustworthy scientist who's, who's usually the cause of the trouble, either by opening a portal to some kind of alternate <laughs> dimension. Uh-huh. Event Horizon is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in this case, Ash, who is basically the cause of all the trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've, got, uh, you've also got um, the company, yes. in quotes... Uh, in which case, uh, in this case, the Wayland Utani Company, mm-hmm. whom these people work for, but they uh, this company does not have their best interests at heart. Shall we put mm. it? And it, it to put it mildly. It seems clear that the 
the world is run by one or two or several large companies and governments aren't really involved anymore or something you know it's yes that's the way i understand it anyway yeah i think that's i think that's correct as a correct understanding um which is you know not that dissimilar to real life we're getting there we are getting there yes well we're getting to yeah we're getting to an ocp type situation What's OCP? Uh, OCP is the company in Robocop. <laughs> yeah. Have you read the books uh, Red Mars, Blue Mars and Green Mars? Kim Stanley Robinson? Is that yeah. right? I have not, but I've heard of them. So they, um, they feature uh, companies that run everything. Mm. And then they feature that whole system collapsing and a much better system than we have now being brought in it's very optimistic and fun are they good books are they worth a read they are Mm. yes they are really good and they contain really interesting ideas Mm. they also contain long sections where he appears to be just proving that he's done enough research okay he's, he's read and read about the science that could make this stuff possible and he wants to make sure you know exactly how much he's read and how plausible it is. And it, sometimes it does go on a bit and you think, okay, Kim Stanley Robinson, let's move on to some So plot. it's probably not as uh, as compelling or as fun as The Martian, for example. It's much slower, yeah, but yeah. it's it it's so ambitious. It's hard to even express okay. how ambitious that series is. So if you like, like thinking about... Um, a, how would the science would work, but B, what would happen to society over long periods of time? Um, it, it's, it's a huge, hugely ambitious piece of work, mm. the, the whole trilogy. So, yeah, I would say read okay. it. Okay, all right. That's a, good, that's, a, that's a good recommendation, listener, if you haven't already read them. or I wonder if there, are, there must be audio books of those. They've been around for quite a long time. I would think so, but they they are long. Okay. So the audiobooks will be also long. long. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, just as a little footnote here, as I was talking about, you know, it's it's basically a haunted house movie, that type of thing in space. Ridley Scott described it as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of science fiction. Okay. Okay. Uh, which I don't think is entirely correct, but it is in the right ballpark. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So that was yeah. um, that was like, why does it deserve to be there? Yes. So then the next the next point we were going to talk about was um, the sequels and the whole universe that it's all in. And stuff. Yeah. So the sequels. Um, it took a while for a sequel. Nineteen eighty six, I think, or eighty seven. Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up actually. Aliens. So yeah, James Cameron. Um, who'd had a hit with The Terminator, um, which made him very bankable because The Terminator was fairly modestly budgeted. Right. And he managed, you know... he, he approached Oh, Terminator 1. Okay. Terminator 1, yeah. He approached yeah. Fox and on a, um, like a flip board, he put Alien... And he put an S at the end and they said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine James Cameron doing that, you know, just walking into a room and owning it. Um, and they agreed, you know, they said, yeah, okay, let's, let's see the script. So Cameron wrote the script as well. 
Mm-hmm. When did it come out? Am I right? 86, yes. July 86. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Aliens is, is one of the few films that's up there with being um, a contending against Alien as one of my favourite films. It's a very different movie. Mm-hmm. A very different movie. So I didn't... Although it is billed as another science fiction horror, I didn't include it on this list. Um, maybe we should talk about that in the wash-up, actually. Okay. About, about okay. why I didn't include it. But anyway, yes, Aliens including, came yeah. Including both might have been a bit too yeah, much. I think so, yes. So then that, it's that's, less of a horror yeah, film. That's partly but the anyway. reason. So Aliens is a very fine film, indeed. Mm. Uh, and then in 1992... Fox released Alien 3, which is a huge dis- a huge disappointment. Um, notable, I think, for being the feature film debut of David Fincher, who, who we have talked about on this podcast several times. Um, mm. Well, not several is times in gone, terms of movies, but one movie gone we Girl? have talked about was Gone Girl. Is Gone Girl the first film we did? Yes. Yeah, there you go. That was our first. That's why movie. I remember it more clearly than some of the others. Yeah, uh, so Alien Three went through a very troubled produ- production, um, publicly troubled. So, several filmmakers came and went. Notably, Rennie Harlan, um, Danny Boyle was in line to direct at one mm. point. Arnold Schwarzenegger was apparently in the frame to be in it, which personally I would have been, you know, up for. I wouldn't. That sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah, well, could it have been worse than the finished product? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, it could have been more memorable. I think with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it would have been more memorable. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Hey, Alien, take this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you're bringing me around. There you go, you see? Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah. So yes, very troubled. It uh, it's credited to several screenwriters. The story is is by Vincent Ward. Now Vincent Ward's a New Zealand filmmaker. Who he came up with the idea of Ripley um, landing on a wooden planetoid that is populated by space monks who wooden. worship the alien as like a god or a prophet um it's utterly nuts it's i mean the budget would have been just ridiculous for what he wanted to do where does a wooden planetoid i don't know i just don't know i mean uh, the thing is that the fox even entertained doing this (laughs) just shows that they didn't really have a clue what they wanted to do with alien 3 they didn't know what they wanted to do with it really Mm -hmm. um uh, but that didn't get un- end up getting made. Vincent Ward got fired. And they went to David Fincher, who had made a bunch of commercials, but never made a movie. Uh, he had a terrible time on the film because they had a compressed time frame to make it. He has public- publicly disowned the movie <laughs> and said he doesn't want anything to do with it. And even to this day, there's no director's commentary on the Blu-ray or the DVD. Really? There is a work print... So there's the original theatrical cut, which is a mess. Um, and a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's a work print, which is where they have restored footage to mm-hmm. the work print. But there's but there's no Foley track. So 
Um, does listener know what Foley is? No. Okay. So Foley is when you, uh, you know, when you shoot a movie, um, for like a sci-fi movie, there's a lot of audio going on for like doors opening and closing and um, mm -hmm, maybe dialogue mm -hmm. that needs to be replaced. In fact, that happens on regular films as well. Um, but that there's no Foley track on the work print, so it's, the mm -hmm, audio is mm -hmm. rubbish. Uh, and that's because Fincher don't, didn't want anything to do with it. So, the, you know, right. they've just kind of cobbled something together. Um, mm. The movie's a mess, basically. Uh, yeah, and I don't in, remember much about it. In 1997 came what, what we would think would be the final insult, <laughs> which is uh, a movie directed by Jean-Pierre Jeannot, who was like a French auteur director. A movie called Alien Resurrection. What does what does auteur mean? Uh, it means you're like the author of a film. You know, you're you're the one person who is responsible for it. Okay, okay, kind of thing. I mean, you know, I think it, it's kind of a pretentious thing because you can't have one person in charge of a film. A film gets made mm -hmm. by hundreds of people who are mm -hmm. responsible for their particular roles. Um, but you know, I think that uh, you know. I think that you can you can sometimes look at a film and say like David Lynch you were considered to be an auteur mm -hmm. because his films always have a very particular tone to them mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um so yes the Joss Whedon scripted Alien Resurrection. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. Well, you know that, that accounts I'm for a the follower of his work. That accounts for the fact that it is basically Buffy in space. <laughs> um, you know, it's got that kind of jokey knockabout tone to it, which is utterly out of keeping with the rest of the series, which is very serious. But, um, that um, maybe explains why I, I quite liked some aspects of it. Some aspects of it are good. I think the supporting cast in Alien Resurrection is good. I liked what they did with the Ripley character. Yeah. And I, I hated, hated, hated the ending. No, the ending with the which newborn. Which is pathetic and rubbish. Yes, terrible terrible i think that there's some interesting ideas in alien resurrection um but again um, the movie's a bit of a mess uh mm. that was it until there were two spin-offs not featuring ripley mm. the two alien versus predator movies which are mm, really you mentioned them <laughs> yeah yeah we'll just we'll gloss over them mm -hmm. until 2011 when Ridley Scott returns to make Prometheus. <laughs> Which I quite like. Oh. I liked it at the time and I still quite like it now. Even though so even though again it's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess of a film. Twenty twelve. So bored. What was uh... Twenty twelve Prometheus. Which also introduces a an un um a troublesome android in the shape of Michael Fassbender's David. Mm -hmm. There's always an android. There's always an android. Uh, There's an that, android in yeah. Resurrection as well. It's played by a famous person. Winona Ryder. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so there was a sequel to Prometheus in 2016, which was... No, 2017, uh, which was um, Alien Covenant. Which again, okay. I quite, I I really quite liked Alien Covenant. I think that it's uh, solid. I don't think I've seen it, and 
I don't know if uh, sadly all right, but uh, I think that Prometheus though, made me so sad and annoyed because Covenant didn't make that much money at the box office. I think that the uh, it had a big budget, so had, uh, Covenant had a budget of 111 million mm-hmm. and took 240. So I mean that's not bad, but it's not that much for a budget of 111. Oh, that's a profit. Yeah, it's a profit. Um, I'm sad because after Prometheus, uh, director Neil Blomkamp, um, it looked like he was going to be making a sequel to Aliens with uh, Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver and Michael Bean. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't happen because Alien Covenant happened. Right. And it now looks like that will never happen, which is a great shame because I think that if they could have just sort of sidestepped the events of Alien 3 and said that it was all a dream, mm-hmm. they could have made a really compelling movie with uh, Sigourney Weaver as a, as a much older Ripley who's mm. awoken, you know, probably been in hypersleep for a long time. Or, you know, they, they would have made something really interesting out of that. Maybe they'll just reboot the series. I'd be up for a reboot. Um, although I think that the Alien is no longer as terrifying as it was because obviously... Yeah. We've seen it so many times now. Yeah, and it's been watered down by things like Alien vs. Predator. And also Spaceballs as well. What Spaceballs? Uh, it was a Mel Brooks movie in which right. John Hurt repeats his role as <laughs> Ash and does a jokey chestburster scene. Oh dear. So, you know, it's. I think the, the Alien and the chestburster and the facehugger have kind of passed into uh, pop culture and parody. Mm-hmm. You could do it though. If you did it if you did it with just total seriousness, you could you could reboot it. It'd be great. Yeah. No, I think it Or you it, could just yeah. watch the original. Or you could just watch great. the original, yeah. Um So yeah. I'd kind of like to see more though. I'd like to have had that sequel to Aliens, that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing, yeah. It really would have been amazing. Or, I, I could have been amazing, I guess. Weirdly, I would have liked to have seen Vincent Ward's Alien Three. Right, I think it would have been barking mad, but entertaining. Is that that's the wood, the wooden, the wooden planet, the wooden one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? Exactly, it's nuts, isn't it? But it would have been more interesting than than the finished product. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Most things would. Yeah, most things would. Um. So yeah, Alien, a film Such that I didn't see a when great it came film. out. I didn't see it when I came out because because I was too young. Mm. But I remember my uncle just going on and on and on about it, saying how fantastic it was. Yeah, listen, you don't have to watch it at the cinema. Watch it on on a normal-sized TV. Just turn all the lights off. Yeah. Turn up the sound. Just enjoy. Turn up the sound, turn the lights off, and be thoroughly scared. You're better off, actually, not at the cinema. Because you watch it at the cinema, there's going to be a whole load of people there who know everything that's going to happen and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. There is something else, actually, something very important to talk about with Alien. Mm-hmm. That is the production design is mm-hmm. beautiful. Yes. In keeping with Ridley Scott being a visual artist. Mm-hmm. I'd mm. say a visual artist first before a, a film director. Uh, in terms mm. of, you know, his training. Um production design is fantastic but also the cinematography is stunning so I think of probably all of the films on this list is visually sumptuous so even when it's grim and disturbing it's still visually sumptuous it looks so good it looks beautiful 
Um, they could just reshoot the scene where the alien runs off the table. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> uh, but like, like the scene I was talking about, where where Brett goes into the the bowels of the ship and looks up, and there's water dripping down from the ceiling, and the chains are clanking, and it's mm. just incredible. The design is unlike anything you would imagine would be inside a massive spacecraft. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so we're probably yeah. done. Shall, shall I tell you what something I watched over the Christmas period? Please do. Yes, I watched Rogue One. Ah, I really enjoyed Rogue One. Yeah. I thought it was good, a good, a good Star Wars film. Mm. I thought the last two seconds were almost bad enough to ruin the whole thing. Oh, that's but, terrible! Yes, but but not. But um, so I really enjoyed it. But just please don't do that. Uh, also, CGI Peter Cushing, not good. Oh, I thought that was fine. I I I was thinking, oh, how did they get Peter Cushing to do it? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, actually, I wasn't paying that much attention. Maybe I didn't like it that much. But I thought what I love about well, there's a lot to love about Rogue One. I think they get all the detail absolutely spot on just feels like it's always existed in yes, the Star Wars universe. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um I love the fact that the final 45 to 50 minutes is the finale. Mhm. Um I love that when the fleet arrive at Scarif, the the nice planet that looks like the Seychelles, that mm-hmm. is the Seychelles. Um <laughs> uh they use cut footage from a new hope of ah. of the um of the pilots you know the the rogue pilots calling doing their call signs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that is ah. just such a great that's such a great moment oh that's cool cuz i di- i didn't know about that when i went to see it at the cinema and uh, it was just like oh my god look at that so they they are alternate takes from a new hope so they look different <laughs> that's cool yeah really cool um i love I feel like i love vader when he goes full on um, berserk yeah. and kills yeah. all those people, it's just fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good. Yeah, that's a really good scene. It just feels like it was. It just feels it fits in perfectly, and you can't believe it hasn't always existed. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. I spoke to someone the other day who's a Star Wars fan who said it's considered rubbish and people don't like it. That is not true. Some people don't like it. I think it has divided opinion rather than being a Yeah, universal. maybe. Yeah. yeah, in the same way that The Last Jedi has divided opinion. I have no idea what to think about any what, what I'm supposed to think about these things. So I go into them quite cold. So I, I had no preconception. It was quite useful. Mm. Um, yeah, I've heard that Last Jedi is supposed to be hated, but I'm I, because I'm not that invested in Star Wars, I can just watch them and see if I like them. I've seen The Last Jedi like four times now. And, um, oh, really? I love it. I think it's... I think that oh, cool. it is long, mm-hmm. um, but it takes some big chances, uh, and it has some absolutely standout moments. Um, oh. But it, oh, cool. you know, I look forward to it. Actually, I was listening to the, I was listening to the Adam Buxton podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking to Simon Pegg about Star Wars and Star Trek, and just saying that you've got this peculiar situation where you've got all these really hardcore, like really right-wing people attacking The Last Jedi in a really toxic way. Um, Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, just a really hateful kind of misogynistic way that they attacked it. Hmm. Um, that's just not on, really. Oh, well, I'll probably like it then. I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah. It's exciting. One of my favourite things about the, um, what's it called? The the first Disney Star Wars? Uh, the um, The Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourite things was the, was that the one with the, the strong female character who's the admiral in the fleet and as well as the uh, Ray character? Uh, well, no. I really enjoyed um, No, that's, that the second one? That's The Last Jedi, the admiral. She's only in it a bit and then she dies. Uh, hmm. Maybe I've seen it. Maybe I've seen it and I'm confused. I don't know. I think maybe you have. If it's the one I've seen, I quite liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you are thinking of The Last Jedi, the strong oh, right, okay. character played by Laura Oh, Dern. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We've done Alien. Yeah, we, number two. we've wandered off. Apologies, listener. But, I mean, you probably like it. There was a lot of waffling there. That's number two. Next time, number one. Potentially a chance to join us live. Yes. On Monday, the 28th of January yeah, to, to at 2000 UTC. To be not surprised about what is number one. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to uh, finding out what number one is. Yes. Why uh, don't you do some plugging? I would do, but I don't have anything to plug these days. <laughs> Actually, no, I do. I do. I've got a podcast feed, um, which is called Andy's Movie Mashup, or Movie mm-hmm. Mashup on your podcasting app of choice. Um, I used to present a radio show. I'm getting through all of the um, uh, podcasts for that, so I'm doing highlights of each show up to the time when it finished, which is the end of the year last year. Uh, but I'm still posting stuff to it. Um, I'm, I actually caught up with Star Trek Discovery on um, Netflix recently, so I'm going to be talking about that. Oh. And also the latest series of Stranger Things. This is stuff that's been around for a while, but I'm just catching up with because, you know... I'd be quite interested to hear. I've been watching a lot of movies, so catching up with mm. TV is a good thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Also, subscribe to that. Yeah. Also, please like and subscribe. This podcast, yes. rate it. Tell your friends, etc. Send us feedback. Join the chat room live. All of that. Uh, Why don't you do some plugging? Because you actually have something to plug. So yesterday I was sort of accidentally on a podcast called CPP Chat. CPP Chat. CPP Chat. (laughs) uh, Which is like a programming, very casual programming related uh, podcast. But we were on to discuss... Fran Bontempo's new book about machine learning. So uh, if that sounds at all interesting, have a look at the latest episode of CPP Chat, which should be out around about the same time this podcast out, I think, or it's on YouTube now, the the kind of unedited version. It is on YouTube now, yes. Um, and then I um, the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, a week on Wednesday, so that will be what? Uh, the uh, 23rd, 23rd of January evening, I'm speaking at a Python meetup in London about um, Python async stuff, so the cool new stuff in Python. So if you're into programming in Python, um, uh, there's only like three spaces left, I think, but sign up for the uh, uh, the uh, London Python meetup. Nice. Um, and you can hear me speak about some stuff to a load of people who know loads about Python when I don't know that much about Python. So it would be very exciting for me. You do know a lot about Python. 
not maybe half as much as these people but anyway <laughs> hopefully <laughs> i mean i learned a little bit about this small area so maybe maybe it'll be useful to someone i don't know well yes i'm sure it will be yeah anyway hopefully that'll be good indeed indeed well thank you for listening listener yeah, sorry that it went on so long. <laughs> we shouldn't apologise for that. Presumably, yeah, people like it. People this is like why people podcast. listen, though. They want, yeah. you know... They, people like to spend time with you. Um, and they like to fill up their time with your voice. So exactly. here you are, listener. Here's a lot of your time filled up with our voice. Yes. We hope you've enjoyed it. Next time <laughs> is number one. Presumably next time we're going to be on for two hours or something. Well, I should think so. I've, I've, I could talk for a long time about number one. Yeah, let's not be on for two hours next time. No. Well, yeah, we've been expanding. I think we got a bit too casual, or maybe just the right amount casual. I think that, you know, I think that the top build movies in this list deserve time. So, yeah, but know. do they deserve time with us gossiping about other films and TV that we've recently watched? Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Cool, it was a lot of fun talking yeah. about Alien. Thank you very much. See you next time. Yeah. Bye.